you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Well, hey, everybody. This is Melissa. And this is Dane. And we're really happy to be back with you. Thanks for all your emails and your response to our podcast. And we really appreciate those of you who have turned other people onto our podcast to listen in. We are into what? Is this our sixth one now today? Yep. I our think sixth so. podcast. I think so. I think so. We're still on the topic of raising emotionally healthy horses. And our fifth episode was really about choosing the right stallion and mare. And, and the birth process and imprinting and some of that. I guess we ought to talk about the tack, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? The tack that you and your mother ended up dealing with when you first got your hands on it. <laughs> All right. So I'm learning I can't share anything with him because he's getting back at me in this podcast. So yes, that was a funny story. I had him laughing pretty hard when I was telling him this story. So, oh gosh, I feel like this is sort of behind the scenes, the way he goes after these podcasts with me. So yes, that has nothing to do with what I want to lecture on today about emotionally sound horses. But I will go back in my first or second podcast podcast with y'all, I talked about the little mare who was starving and how my mom helped me get this little mare that was my first horse and how she was starving to death. It's a great story. You can go back and listen to it. And once she had destroyed my father's backyard, had torn down our fence, a lot of different things. I was this kid who wanted a horse really didn't have any trainer or lessons or anybody to show me what to do. And with this starving horse who was destroying my father's backyard until we could get her moved somewhere, along with her for, I think it was $150 for the horse, a saddle, a bridle, a halter and lead, and a gray beat up bucket of dirty, filthy brushes. That's kind of was my start. And the bridle, you guys that have horses, go ahead and laugh out loud. I can't hear you, but I will know you're doing this, was made out of white. That's right, white leather. What kind of a person has a bridle with white leather? It was older. It was pretty beat up. And my mom decided, my dad was out of town, if you remember this story. My mom decided we should clean it because she thought we could put shoe polish on it and make it white again because it was sort of nasty. So darkness came. We finally had the mare settled down and we're in my mom and dad's bedroom. They had a big king bed and she, my mom was sitting there. I can remember this so clearly. She was sitting there and we took this bridle and she said, well, let's clean it really nice. She had some rags and stuff there. So we take the bridle completely apart. Now, again, if you don't have horses, you're not laughing at what I just said. But if you have horses, you're laughing hysterically because one of the more confusing things in the world to put back together correctly is a bridle. So we take every strap apart and we clean it and we saddle soap it and we make it white again. And we were really happy with the production of what we had created. We took the bit off, the reins off, the brow band, the thin, the throat latch, like the whole thing apart. So now it's all laying there. It's all clean. And my mom looks at me and she goes, okay, so put it back together. And I looked at her like she had three heads. I was trying to convince her that I was ready for a horse. So I couldn't say, I don't know how. I had to say, I haven't seen a bridle like this one before. 
which the truth was, I didn't know what I was doing. And so she said, well, okay. And I said, honestly, um, I think this part goes over her head. So my mom said, well, I'll be the horse's head. And she put up her hands. Her left hand was the horse's left ear and her right hand was the horse's right ear. And she said, just put it on me like I'm the horse and we'll put so, this back so you, together. you had it on her head. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to do it any other way. So we figured the brow band across my mom's forehead and the top of it across her head and the throat latch under her chin it did help it did work really well so my mom had wore the bridle before my horse did it was pretty funny and I will tell the rest of this story because I don't think you heard this part Dane but the tough part was this little mare had what's called a curb bit which is all sort of one piece of metal it has two shanks down the side and one sort of dippy piece in the middle that goes in the horse's mouth and it's really important that the curb bit is right side up not upside down for the horse's mouth right Mm -hmm. because it's going to hurt well i didn't know there was a right side and a wrong side i just knew I figured out the bridle buckled to the rings on it. So I put the bridle, again with my mom's help, I put the bridle, the bit on the bridle, and then I I knew where the reins probably hooked on, so I hooked the reins on, and I put what's called the curb strap which should go under the horse's chin, I really didn't know what that was for. I had ridden in riding stables. I didn't, I'd never put a bridle together. So I hooked that back on in the way that I thought that it went. And I thought it was supposed to go over my horse's nose, a curb strap, guys, over my horse's nose. I'm 11, by the way. So the next day, we had found a place to move the horse and I went out to bridle my very first horse. And among all the other mistakes I made, I got the bridle onto this dear being. She really was too thin for anybody to ride her or anything. I mean, it was just our pure innocence and ignorance ablaze. And I put this bit, I finagle this bit into this sweet mare's mouth. It was upside down and she kept chewing like she had bubble gum in her mouth, but it was really because the bit was upside down. And then the curb strap was over the top of her nose and I loosened it a lot because I realized it was too tight. So I loosened it a whole lot, but it was like a nose strap on her. (laughs) Oh my God, this poor horse. And uh, my mom gave me a leg up and I rode her bareback with a bone in her back like you wouldn't believe and all her ribs showing this poor thing and had to ride her a mile to where she was going to be stabled. So you guys (laughs) did all this in the backyard. In the backyard and not having a clue knowing what we were doing. I'm over the moon. My mother is saying every five minutes, we're not keeping this horse. We're not keeping this horse. We're rescuing this horse because she was starving. We're doing a good thing, but we're not keeping this horse. To which I was hearing, I have a horse. I have a horse. I'm (laughs) celebrating in my head like, yeah, yeah, mom, fine. She's mine. So we ride her with my mom had a a Monza Corvair. You remember those old Monza cars? She had a little copper colored Monza. And she was scared to death for me to ride this horse, but we didn't have a trailer. We didn't know how horses got where they're kept. So I needed to go on this very quiet road, thank goodness, called Price Road. I needed to ride up Price Road, down Broadway, which was not a quiet road, in the field in front of it, across the highway, not a highway, but two-lane road, into the farmer's driveway. So that was the goal. So my mom decides she's going to follow us because I guess she thought if I fell off, she'd witness it or something. I don't know. So she's following me. 
This horse is ready to die because she's so thin, right? I'm sitting on her, hurting, but I'm on her, happy over the moon. And I thought, there's something different about this horse and the horses I ride at the riding stables because about every, I don't know, 25 feet, maybe 50 feet, I don't know, every once in a while, she would push her nose to the ground really quickly. And then she'd come up taking one giant breath and then she'd walk forward another 50, 60 feet. I had put that thing across her nose. She couldn't breathe very well. <laughs> On top of everything else, she couldn't breathe very well. So she'd throw her head down, then she'd take this big sniff. <laughs> and she'd walk forward. When I got to, it was Mr. Prince, when I got to the driveway... And I'm coming up the driveway with his new horse that's going to be boarded at his farm. He took one look at me, one look at the horse, one look at my mother. And he walked up and he just pulled the bridle off this horse. He helped me down off her, just pulled the bridle off this horse. And he said, well, welcome. We're starting at square one, aren't we? I'm like, isn't she pretty? thinking, oh my gosh, you guys. So yeah, so that's my bridal story. Thanks for making me humble myself on my podcast, honey. Very yeah. much so. Well, um, you know, sometimes we all need that. We all start somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah, we all yeah. start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. When we left off the last podcast, it yeah. was about creating a emotionally stable oh, foal. Oh, what a nice pun. A stable foal. Stable <laughs> foal. That's a good pun. For emotionally sure. stable. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank you for bringing me back to where I'm supposed to be. The stable. The stable. The stable. Emotionally healthy foal. So what we, what we talked about. So yeah, as a breeder, and uh, even if you're not a breeder, you may want to go back and look at Podcast 5. Because what I'm really wanting to help people understand is how horses go into the world that are really emotionally healthy. And so we covered last time about breeding the correct mare to the correct stallion and how to take care of the mare while she's in foal and how to have her have a peaceful and healthy birth of this foal and what that takes. And then once the foal is born to allow the baby to do natural bonding with its mother before we start doing imprinting and really what imprinting is, a very quick explanation of the importance of and what imprinting is with the foal. I mentioned that for me, we had a little baby, baby cutie foal halter on those foals the second day of their birth. And the reason for that is because they're so strong. The moment they're born, they're strong. But by the time they're 48 hours old, they're definitely stronger than a human. They're really powerful. And putting that halter on, again, only when you're in the stall with the foal, because you can have uh, deadly consequences if you leave that halter on the foal all the time. And part of their learning is every time a human comes in, they're quietly, softly putting this thing on my head and they can shake it and they can nod up and down and they can jump around and see what the halter does. They can experiment. And one day you walk in, you slip that on and they're calm with it. They're like, oh yeah, that thing you put on my head, that's fine. We would leave the rope again only if the human's in the stall with the foal for safety. Leave the rope hanging down on the ground so they learn to step on the rope and what that feels like, how it pulls on their head. They don't like it. And to not step on the rope, right? But also to give to that pressure. So they're learning a lot of just 
exploratory, curious, natural things in the safest environment that they can. However, one day they are strong enough. Your mare is eager to get out of this foaling stall and out to see the blue sky and show her baby off and all of that. The baby doesn't know any different. It's born in that stall. And you know, most stalls are before the bars. How many feet is that? Like probably four feet before the bars are on a stall? The gate and yeah, stuff, four about to five, four, yeah. to four feet tall, yeah. probably about four feet. And so if you think about it, the newborn foal, they're seeing the wood or the metal, whatever your stall's made of. That's all they've seen of the world. They really have seen the ceiling and they've seen above the stall in a sense, but not a lot. They don't really know the world's out there yet. For just the first few days of their birth, you've got them, you know, where you've got full function and your mare gets a chance to heal. And she gets a chance to not need to worry about other horses near her baby or a coyote at night near her baby or anything else. She's she's just allowed to heal after giving birth and have her baby to herself. So one day, it's that day, it's important you take the foal out. So everybody has a different way of doing this. I'll just talk about how we did it. I always had a really good crew. So I would have one person on the halter and lead of the mare. I'd have another person on the halter and lead of the foal. And I'd have a walker, another person who is on the far side of the foal. So the foal is sort of sandwiched between their mama and a person who's walking alongside the foal. We had one lead rope that the foal was used to, the weight of that lead rope kind of hanging down from their head. And the person leading the foal is holding that. And another lead rope that went from the O-ring of the halter around the far side or the right side of the foal's body around their back legs or their rump. Don't get it up under the tail too far, but right around their rump and back up to the person's in their right hands, just kind of like helping assist this foal. To me, the left hand on the lead rope of the baby is to keep the baby from going forward more than you want it to. The right hand pulling that rope that's really squeezing them from the hind end, it's encouraging them from the butt to go forward. That's the one that we want to use to encourage them to move forward. Rather than pulling on their face, we want to encourage them from behind because it's a more natural movement for them. And it keeps them from swinging their body out to the right perpendicular to you, which can be disastrous because they can rear and they can escape and, you know, they have a lot of fun. So now you've got a pretty good control on the foal without having your hands on the foal and the baby's allowed to move as quick as it wants to up next to its mama and also can stop and look at the world. I have seen the scariest things happen when I'm in other people's barns and they let the foal run free. So they've got the mare on a halter and lead rope, but they figure, well, that baby's not going to go far from this mare. So they let the baby, because it's cute, run around free. But I'll tell you what, I've seen a foal break its neck that way. I've seen a foal smash headlong into another stall in exuberance and excitement and get a concussion and need to be put down. They really need to be protected from themselves and their own energy for a little while till you get them out to a safe place where they can run around. So we would go up the barn aisle. It was a sensation because all the horses were interested in seeing the new baby 
horses love seeing new foals. So they'd be nickering and jumping up and down and calling to the baby and celebrating with the mare. And it's like a party going up a 36 stall (laughs) run and getting out into the world and being able, if the foal wants to and the mare wants to, to stop and let them take in the sky and the trees and the breeze, the world. They haven't seen the world. They're maybe mm, four days old at this point. And they're now seeing the world and let them take it in at their own speed. The goal for us was usually to get them to a solid side round pen where they could be safe. Your mare probably wants to stretch her legs and move around. So we'd take them inside the round pen, but the training was as much the journey to the round pen and back to the barn as anything those first few days. Now you can turn mama and baby loose in a 70, 80 foot round pen and they run and play and have a good time. We usually did that for the first three or four days till the foal learned how to walk out to the round pen quietly, how to stand quietly when we're turning them loose to play, how to play, how to follow mom and leave mom and all the fun things they learn. And then one day they're ready for the next step, which in our case was out to a large arena. We had PVC, the white PVC flatboard fencing, and our foals could really bounce off the, that fence if they were going to hit it. You hoped that they weren't going to hit it because it was so big and obvious for them. So usually they didn't. But if they did hit it, they'd go right through to the other side or they'd bounce back off of it. They weren't going to get hurt. And eventually letting that mare and foal run and play in that big arena. And then you're having your mare come quietly back over to you and the foal allowing you to put the ropes back on them and going back to the barn. We didn't leave our mares and foals out overnight for uh, the first about mm, month to six weeks of their life. They spent the nights in the barn and during the day they started increasing the length of time that they were out. We were fortunate to have a pasture with brood mares who were rebred who did not have foals by their side and a pasture of mares with their newborn foals and then other pastures with other horses so we could really segregate the mares with the little babies, the young babies, the first time out babies. And so we'd make sure they were turned out when it was finally to go to field time for the day, they would be turned out in this big pasture and they knew how to come back to mom. She had figured out her calls to that foal. She knew when we were coming to bring her in for the evening and would come over and do that. And she was out in pasture with usually three or four or five other brood mares with foals of the generally same age. So that means if we had a January, February, and March foals, they could all go together. But if we had foals who were already four months old, they're already, you know, later in the spring and they're wanting to join it, then it was segregated. So we didn't turn a two-week-old foal with mare loose with a four-month-old baby because there can really be hazardous for them in the domestic world. So now they're out in the pasture, right? And they've got four or five mares and you've got these little foals and they are so much fun to watch. And they'll play and play and play and they have these legs that are way too long and they try to imitate mom eating grass grass and their neck isn't long enough to reach the grass on the ground. So they stand kind of sprawl legged to try, but they're not eating grass yet. Their teeth begin to come in when they're a month old and they get these little nubby teeth and they try to eat, but mostly they're returning to nurse
nurse from mom. And that nursing from mom does three different things, really. One, it continues that bonding between the mare and the foal that is so important. Two, of course, it's hydration for the foal. They're not drinking water from the water trough. The mom needs usually two or three times as much water as she normally drank while she's producing milk. And it gives him hydration and nutrition and everything he needs. But the third factor is where we get these emotionally healthy foals. So let's say, and I saw this happen, one day our sawdust delivery truck, which was a semi, came onto the ranch. They usually were there like every other week. The foals were out in the pasture. It's their first time seeing a semi, hearing the loud noises of the sawdust truck. And the healthy foals would run to their mom and begin to nurse. They were not nursing because they were hungry. They were nursing because that gave them a feeling of being attached to their mom and being safe. And you want to see that. You want to see that those little babies, if a barking dog comes into that pasture, they run to their mom and nurse. And you're watching that. It's one way you know when it's time to wean them because they handle things differently. They're less likely to run to mom to nurse. But for the first, usually five months of their life, they run to mama and they're accepted by mama and mom's there and gives her comfort to that foal, whether it's biting him softly on the hind end or rubbing her face on his body or whatever it might be to let him know you're okay. You're all right and we're all right. Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about working in partnership with the magic of horses. Our equine facilitator program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business hosting group experiences with horses. Our equine gestaltist program prepares you to open your own private gestalt practice in partnership with horses. And our master equine gestaltist program builds your gestalt skills both in and outside the round pen. All of our programs include in-depth live classes, business growth training, and a supportive community of herd members to collaborate with and learn from. Visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com to learn more about which program is right for you and your healing herd. The foals, as they grow, then begin to experiment like little kids. They begin to experiment. How far can I get away from my mom? How far do I feel I could survive away from my mom? And you watch them every day. They're getting further from mom and then blasting back to her and outplaying as a little group of colts and then coming back to their moms. And it's very cute when you're fortunate to have a lot of mares like we were. The mares are eating. They're they're grazing and eating. They need a lot of calories while they're producing milk. So they're out eating and the foals will start running and sometimes they run to the wrong mom. They're like running going, wait, you're not my mother. Wait a minute, where's my mom? You know, and they get confused and they finally find their mom and some mares will nicker to them and want them to do it. In our case in Colorado, the grass was taller than the foals were when they were laying down flat. And usually you would see all of the foals laying flat, taking their naps, and they'd all nap pretty much at the same time. So one would lay down, then another would lay down. Pretty soon all five are flat out. You look out at your pasture, it looks like you don't have any foals at all. And I think what really moved me a lot was there was usually a babysitter mare. So one mare that would say, I'll stand over them. She's not grazing 
grazing. She's standing over the babies while they're sleeping, while they're napping. And the other four mares or five mares can go graze and she'll watch over them. When they start to wake up, she calls to her buddies, they're getting up and now they're all back and more, you know, with their moms and really able to function as a herd again. And at night when we'd go to bring them in, we'd go catch the mares who were the most willing first, right? And set a good example and put the rope around the body of the foal and the halter on and three people would bring them in. It's a lot of work to have 15 foals a year. Let me tell you, it's uh, I was a lot thinner then because I was walking a million steps a day, I think, with all these babies, but very rewarding to do. We'd bring them back in, they'd uh, nurse and then sleep very soundly at night when they got back in the stalls. It felt less stimulant for them and they would crash out and sleep really solidly for a number of hours right there. And oftentimes our mares did too. They liked coming back in and knowing they didn't need to worry about anything that was out, you know, during the night. So this is all kind of news for you, right, yeah, Dane? You, haven't, you yeah. didn't go through this chapter on my life, but it was a big one. It was right. really there for sure. Have so. you ever ran across any bonding issues with the foals and the, and the, the mares? mares? Yeah. Yes, rarely, but I have had two or three that were pretty tragic, actually. So at that time, I bred quarter horses and paints. And, you know, paints that I had were basically quarter horses with a lot of chrome, you know, a lot of white on them, real fancy. And... There were times in which my quarter horse mares that were solid in color were bred to my paint stallion and they would have what's called a loud foal, a foal that's got a lot of red and white or black and white or whatever it might be. And the mares would reject the foals. They didn't think it was their foal because oh, they look at it. Yeah, color. yeah. Because wow. they look at it and they go, well, you can't be my baby because you've got all that white on you. And so really, really interesting to see that happen. One really nice mare that we had had this big red and white I have a painting of the colt actually in my office but had this red and white foal and she shunned him so bad he couldn't get the colostrum which is the part of the milk that gives antibodies to the foal and they need that the first 48 hours of nursing and she wouldn't she wouldn't let him nurse she would try to hurt him if he came near her so we had to get a goat and we we had goats but we raised him with a Nubian goat as his buddy and a, a bucket and milk and it's a lot of work to have an orphan foal, but we raised him, basically had to raise him as an orphan foal because she would never take him back. If a foal fails to respond to the mom, they keep going to the front legs, they don't want to nurse and all that. It's it's sad. It's called a dummy foal, D-U-M-M-Y, a dummy foal. And they're really not okay brain-wise. And so they usually expire in the first 24 to 48 hours. It's heart-wrenching. It's also nature. That's why you don't see horses or animals basically, but you don't see horses that have a bunch of issues like we do with humans. They have different levels of IQ, just like we do, but nature takes care of itself and the foal is not mentally sound. It usually will not nurse. The mare will shun it. It will shun mom and and they pass. So yeah, the not bonding is a sad thing when it happens. I've had orphan foals where the mare dies and that also is horrific. It's hard when the baby dies, but boy, you lose your mare. You know, that's your mare that you've had. That's your horse. That's your best friend. That's, that's a being that you've known for a number of years. And so I have not had that a lot, but definitely you breed enough horses, you're going to have that. And so I can remember one beautiful mare named Cha-Cha and she had a big 
big cult that was born. Everything seemed normal in the birth. It was her fourth foal. So that's not a lot, but it's in there. She was healthy and she still tore internally. And we, what I saw after the foal was born was she really didn't want to get up. She got up, she nursed him a little bit and she laid back down. And that, like I said earlier, is a red flag. So I called my vet and I said, I'm not having any luck keeping her on her feet. And he came out. Sometimes it has to do with the placenta, but she had passed that. And he diagnosed her and she was actually torn internally and bleeding to death. It was horrific. She didn't nurse him after that one time. So we had to quickly give him colostrum that we could get from a veterinary supply place that we had in in Phoenix to get that. We put out a call and our vet, who was incredible, put out a call to all the other vets in the local area to see if anybody had a who lost their foal within the same two-hour window as our mare had given birth to our foal. So that's important that the baby is born in the general same time. He had me take towels and rub the towels all over my newborn foal and then go to where these people offered their mare whose foal had died. Let that mare smell that towel that had that scent of our foal in it to see if she would be somewhat accepting of that. We had another towel we rubbed all over her deceased foal and then put the two together so the scents were all mixed. Caused a little confusion in a good way for the mare. Loaded the mare up in a trailer, brought her to our barn, let our baby sniff the towels of his own scent and the other baby scent. And the babies are happy to accept the new mom. You really say some prayers that the mare will not hurt your foal, that she'll accept your foal. She was so full of milk and so grief stricken and so wanted a baby. She took the baby. We were very fortunate. She took him and she raised him as her own foal for the six months that were needed. And we took the mare back to the people with a very huge thank you and was heart-wrenching, you know, because we had to, you know, move the body of our mare and mm-hmm. it, it, just a big deal. It's really not the, so the pretty part of breeding. Oh, yeah. on For everybody. Yeah. Their mare wasn't in grief anymore. Yeah. Just it was a it was a win-win in a weird way for everybody, but it also was pretty hard. Orphan foals, talk about emotionally, <laughs> the challenge of emotionally healthy, they just aren't and they aren't going to be. And I love them. I've had three orphan foals and they're great. However, as much as the humans can, it's really not the smartest to bottle feed them as cute as they are, because you don't want the horse to see you as their mother. You want them to see you as their partner, their human partner, because they outgrow us in weight and size quickly. So what we've always done is Nubian goats, and we've put a mama Nubian goat in with an orphan foal in a large stall. We have hung a bucket with gloves coming out the bottom of the bucket, thick rubber gloves with holes in them to act as the mare's teat, filling the bucket with the warm milk replacement, milk replacer, which is something you buy when that happens with a foal, so that the foal can go nurse and you train them to, this is where the milk is, and they go to the bucket. You fill the bucket, they go to the bucket, they nurse from the bucket, and they get their emotional bonding from the goat. You still do your imprinting, and it's just natural to spoil them. It's terrible. They end up being such boogers because we, as humans, we let them get away with a little bit more stuff, and we think they're cute, and we're trying to make up to them what's happened to them in life. 
And so I've never seen an orphaned horse who wasn't a little bit of a brat and not horribly, but you know, it's pretty natural for that to happen. And the sooner they can get out with other foals that teach them lessons, the better, but you have a problem. You can't turn an orphan foal out in a field of four or five mares with her foals by their side. They'll hurt your colt. So you actually have to get that colt from the day it's orphaned to usually four or five months of age where they're out with fellow weanlings. And then they get humbled by these fellow weanlings who say, you're not that cute. And they they teach them horse manners. But you got four or five months there round the clock where you're taking care of this baby. So it's not easy. It's a not easy part of raising them healthy and emotionally healthy and well. But it's part of life and that's what you do. So now we have our foals all the way to being able to be brought out of the barn and into the pasture and out with other foals and out with other moms and being brought back into the barn respectfully and politely and they lead well by now some of them don't need the butt rope anymore after a week or two others do they're just they're just learning they're just little sponges all the way and eventually you take a deep breath and it may be the time that they all stay out overnight and so it's like a camp out and I know for me I I don't sleep that night when they're out overnight for the first time. It's the same stuff that goes on during the day, but now they see the other creatures that come on the farm at night only. So they're hearing owls, they're seeing coyotes, depending on where you live. They're seeing coyotes, a lot of cats come around, you know, stalking around at night. Uh, you might have several other animals, elk, moose, whatever, and they move around a lot at night. You know, the wild animals, they're out there at night. And so it's kind of a kick in place, all the stuff that happens at night while we're trying to be in the house asleep. And you'll hear your mares screaming sometimes at each other, sometimes at something that's in the pasture that they don't want there. Yeah, you kind of trust the process. And the next morning you're up early and you're counting noses and and you say, okay, they're finally out. A mistake can be that at that point, you take the deep breath and you're just so happy that you're the workload is less, right? You're not having to catch five mares with five foals, with three people, walking them all one by one into your barn and then one by one out in the morning. But here's the learning curve of that. Once they're out 24-7 and you get too lazy, if you're not out there still putting halters on and leading them at least every 72 to 96 hours, you're going to be sorry because they're growing rapidly. And now they think, oh good, they're not going to put halters on me anymore. And they're not going to lead mommy and me around. So definitely do still go out, make yourself do it, put halters on everybody, lead them around, teach them to stand quietly, still mess with them a lot with halters and leads. In the end, you make a much more respectable, acceptable horse by doing that. So that can really help a lot. So what time period are we talking about right now? Um, Well, by now they're probably about two months of age. That's usually from two to maybe four and a half months they're in there. And it helps, you know, everything's new for them. So if you think you're going to be hauling this horse in a trailer, take the time to load mama and baby in the trailer and let them stay there and eat and get to know the trailer. Or if you're going to be moving the around from pasture to pasture, just the more you mess with them, uh, the better and the more new things 
things they accept. When your farrier comes out to trim your mare, you're holding that foal and that foal is going to be a little resistant, but they catch on really quickly. Oh, we stand quietly when the farrier's here. That should happen every six to eight weeks for your mares. So you've got a lot of opportunity for your young foal to learn a healthy way of having their hooves handled. They don't need trimmed, but their hooves handled, your farrier will work with you because they sure would rather uh, have them be mindful and nice about standing on three legs when they're working under them when they're older. So it's there's so many things that can happen. How about the bathing process? <laughs> so I didn't bathe babies. I was bathing their mom with them standing nearby. So I would have somebody holding the foal with a rope around them quietly while I'm squirting them on with a hose. And that actually starts happening pretty quickly because the mare has afterbirth all down her back legs. And so she needs to kind of have her first hose off when that baby's very young and maybe a week old. So they learned that. But I personally, I didn't bathe babies until they were weaned. I exposed them to the bath rack, to the process, to their mom being bathed. It's also really good for them if you're, if you have other horses you're saddling and you're getting on to ride and all that, that the mare and foal can see that. The baby can just witness it and see it, not be afraid of it. Probably one of the tougher points though, Dane, is a lot of the mare are rebred hormonally the easiest time and the women are going to cringe if they don't know this fact already but the easiest time for the mare to conceive again if she's going to carry a full what's thought of as back-to-back two years in a row we would do ours two years in a row then skip a year then two years in a row and skip a year so that two year in a row the highest probability of getting her in full again is 10 days after she's given birth. Oh Lord. Yeah. So it's soon. And for the mare, hormonally, she's up for it, you know, because she's she's got the call in her of nature. She's ready to be bred again. But now you have a 10-day-old foal on a halter and a couple of ropes that can't be near the stallion. You've got the stallion, unless it's artificial. Either way, it's not easy on the mare, and it's not easy on the foal. So all of those are kind of ways that they learn about you know, mom being teased and mom being around the vet and mom being bred and the whole process goes on and you try to settle your mare again so that she is in foal again. And by the time this baby is weaned, she's done nursing and she's ready to turn her nutrition and all her thoughts toward the production of her her new baby six, seven months later. So it works out pretty well. Last thing I'll say in this particular episode is I think one of the other really scary things for horsemen is how do we teach a horse to stand quietly tied, which is always, there's always different times. Some people believe in waiting until the foal is much older. For me, I like to do it before they were weaned because I may need them to know how to stand tied before they were weaned, but not before about four months of age. So at four months of age, what we had is we had some poles, really large poles sunk into the ground in concrete and very secure. And these poles had like a, what's that game with a ball where you hit it? Tetherball, like a tetherball, right? So it had a pulley around the top of the pole. So the mare or the foal could move 360 
60 degrees safely around the pole. The mares could be secured from their halter to the chain on the pole, no problem. But you wouldn't do that with a baby. You need the baby to have a way to not hurt themselves. So what we used were inner tubes. And at the end of the pole chain, most of it was covered with inner tube. And what they were feeling was an inner tube or a bungee cord can work well too. And so they're secured, but if they pull back, it gives for them so they can go, I don't want to be tied and they can pull back a good foot and then kind of go, okay, fine. As long as I'm not totally secured, they don't want to panic. You're not trying to have them panic. You're trying to have them learn to stand quietly when they're secured to something. So there's lots of different ways to do that. A lot of really safe ways to do that. If you don't have that pole, then you can have a flat wall with the bungee cord or uh, whatever, you know, attached to that wall with the inner tube attached to that. And then cover the lower half of the wall, the part your colt's going to bounce off against with something softer for them to bounce against, like a rubber mat or a thin mattress or something like that. So you create a little space where these foals can have their pitch their little fits and bounce off the wall, but they're not getting loose very quickly they get the idea of like that's a lot of work when they attach me to this wall I'm just gonna stand here because it's a lot easier than fighting with a wall so there's lots of different ways to do that to me the last thing I wanted to have an emotionally healthy foal learn was that it was all about dominance a fair request and their safety and being able to say this is what I want to ask of you next and give them some opportunity to pitch their fit if they want to and not hurt a human or another horse and the mare is right there if your mare stands quietly when she's tied it's usually a no-brainer the foals kind of go oh this is what we do and they take it in stride that about wraps that up right (laughs) i think so you one thing your wife could do is talk (laughs) (laughs) you're good at that Thank you to Hope Through Horses. HopeThroughHorses.com. It's a nonprofit. Go onto their website and see the beautiful work and support that they give to our community at Touched by a Horse and to those in the community who want to seek the work from our graduates. You know, we have uh, close to 250 grads at the time that we're making this recording. They're all over the United States and some around the world. And we oftentimes have people who say, I want to experience your work and I will do sort of a eHarmony matchup between what their needs are, what they're interested in in working on for themselves geographically where they are and really make a matchup between one of our certified practitioners and that client so that they can really have a great EGC experience finish up their unfinished work, learn a great deal about themselves and awareness. So if you're looking for something like that, simply go on our website and there's a link that says find a practitioner and you can find them that way. Or if you think you have a kind of specialized need, send your request with a little bit of description to office at touchbyhorse.com. My staff will be sure to put that in front of me and we'll make the perfect matchup for you so you can experience the work that we do. Thank you to hopethroughhorses.com. I'm again, Melissa, and we love it when you check out our website and reach out to us for whatever your needs might be. Thank you so much and blessed be. How about for you? Yes. Have a great night. 
Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.